This is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kHz in the 80-meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America. This is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kHz in the 80-meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America. look what they've gone and done. This little blue tablet is a heavy-duty detergent. It's called Vim. And I've never had a whiter wash. Hello. Good morning. Good night. <laughs> Welcome back to In Between Stations Radio. We took a musical break, and we're going to proceed on with our show. But first, it's a little morning gabbing session. We're going to get back to our topic of... <laughs> Uh, dying, uh, but but first let's let's stay happy. <laughs> we talked a bit about uh, religion and science as religion, and, and you know we just we kind of kind of just touched the surface of where where things are going to head, but are where things are headings. But but first we're just kind of moving along here, Murky, through the morning, right? Yep, just having a friendly little chat here, having our coffee. <laughs> That we need to survive. Oh yeah, we definitely need that. I mean, we talk about a lot of stuff when we're not on the air, and that becomes, yeah. And we like to do things freestyle here, not always. Ha- we may have an idea before we get on the air. Yeah. And that's each each broadcast. You know, is we do is is kind of an individual. Right. Um, we have an idea. I don't. I don't like to get too solid there. You know, like I always say, like we're having a conversation in my living room. And I go back and I made mistakes and, you know, and, and I'm not an all-knowing person. So there's going to be a lot of mistakes when you go back and listen to it. And I'm sure as time goes on, even more so. Because you can check out everything on the Internet. <laughs> Depending on who's editing that. That's what I like about Wikipedia is it's constantly changing. You can Have you ever went in and tried to correct a topic in uh, Wikipedia? Something you might be really good at, like... Uh, for me, editing uh, is, is inter- it's, it's very dynamic. And, and if you can get set up as a person in the Wikipedia realms, there goes the UPS truck, <laughs> day or night. And it's kind of, although I didn't know they were around at 6 o'clock in the morning. Have you guys seen... Uh, <laughs> he's going to get mad. I have... Uh, uh, oh, the picture uh, of Tiva in the snow. No, it's not Tiva. It's you. Don't blame on Tiva. No, it's not me. Besides, it was her idea anyway. So me, me and I and Murky had this idea. It, it snowed. Was this two years ago? About five years ago. No, it was less than that. Okay, two years ago. So I didn't know Murky. Tiva and Murky oh, were friends. that stupid nude picture in the snow. And uh, that's how I met Murky. Because... They're kind of like twins in a way. They're, they're the same height. You guys almost the same weight, right? She was about 20 pounds less she than She was me. a little less than you? Yeah. My ass is a bit bigger than hers was. <laughs> God, Murky. Okay. I have this photo, and uh, you'll see it if you go to some one of our... One of our I don't think... You won't see it on SoundCloud, but we Yes, have, it is. You big stupid head. You put it right on our main SoundCloud page. And without asking me to. And I'm kicking your ass after we go off the air. <laughs> okay. I, I did? Yes. 
I, I, I didn't even, I didn't realize I, I did. I mean, we have so many different places <laughs> we put our episodes up. Now, all our listeners can see my big, untanned, bare butt. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh. Nevertheless, it's my bare butt out there in public, not yours. All right. Okay. All right. I, I mean... Our, 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 you know, we have our, we're all over the place, on a lot of different places, and I, I didn't realize I did that. Yes, you did. I did. <laughs> I didn't. I swear to God, Mur Murky, I didn't look. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. Oh, where, oh, where is my county fair? That's one of the problems, is most of our listeners are coming in from other podcast sites into SoundCloud. So most of our listeners are not members of SoundCloud. So when you look down there and see that little heart, I'm having some coffee here. Um, as I do, I'm, I'm trying to keep it down to three cups today. I was on right. that one cup coffee thing. You drink about 100 lactes all day long. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> you drink coffee too. All right, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think one day you drank like 25 cups, and that was espresso. And all you did was gab. Whatever, <laughs> stupid head. I never talk as much as you do, especially on the I, air. You never talk or gab as much as me? Hmm, that depends. Not on the air. Just to show that I'm a good sport. Despite you putting my bare ass all over the web, I'll let you talk about the photo now that it's been out there for over a month. Really? You want me to talk about the photo? Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, and hurry up before I change my mind. Sure. All right. Let's. Um. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> You're okay with that? Maybe. <laughs> Look, I think you have a cute bottom, okay? <laughs> Whatever. Let's just do yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Anyway, it's, it's okay. It's kind of a nice, sensual picture to get people to listen to our radio show. <laughs> okay, here we go. Anyway, I have this picture of Murky. She has a... We got this bunny rabbit mask. You know, the stage prop of this... Uh, Big bunny rabbit, kind of a funny one that was using a, was it using a, a kids play? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, you know, I always mention the trains. I don't know how. I, I know you can hear them a little bit. I, I, I kind of like our, our sound devices in the studio uh, 
filter that out sometimes, but I'm always hoping you might be able to hear these trains that come through every 50 minutes, night or day, unless something's wrong on the railroad. Anyway, back to the photo. So we have this monkey or, or murky. It was Tiba's monkey. She got monkey. it downtown. Oh yeah, she bought it at the Goodwill store. So Murky has Tiva's monkey. Those are Tiva's boots too. Yeah. And so the thing was, was both her and Tiva were going to go out in the snow naked. <laughs> and then I was supposed to take a picture of it. I, I mean, I did. But they wanted to do front shots. And I was like, ah, no, let's not do that because we might get in trouble. So, um... Yeah, so I have Murky there, and she's holding the, the monkey, uh, and, and she has Tiva's boots on, and this big bunny rabbit mask turned backwards, so you can see My face. My big butt it. is ghost white. Your bottom's not tan? <laughs> anyway, I'm not into fully nude, sunny beaches. <laughs> You're not even into nude tanning? You can, you, you can see your tan line? Yeah, right. Yeah. Who? Where's that? Where's that? You threatened to send them to my Jewish grandma's house for Konica. No, you made me get rid of all the other pictures. And you guys wanted a frontal shot. And I was like, no, we better not. So we got this one. And if you look, you can see uh, Murky there holding the monkey. And she's completely naked except for boots. And this bunny rabbit mask turned around backwards. So we can see the cute face and get all kinds of ideas. Of, what does the bunny rabbit mean? What does the monkey mean? She's walking. It snowed a lot that that morning, didn't it? I think it was the biggest storm of the year. Yeah, that was like a two feet right. of snow. It was still snowing too when we took that photo. Anyway, it's a, it's a cute photo you can look at. You can see your backside. Yeah. Right, my pale white ass. <laughs> okay, so we hey, anyway. Can we do a song now? You want to go to a song? Yeah. All right, let's 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 go to a song, and we'll return back uh, on our broadcast today. We're going to talk more about the mysterious realms of death. What does death mean? Do we die? Are we even alive? <laughs> All right, here we go to our song. Man, that wind's really blowing outside. Did it snow over at your place? Yeah, it snowed a little bit last night. Um, Max bought me some really nice jeans and a Felix the Cat sweater. Really? Yeah. I'm going to get another bigger Felix the Cat tattoo <laughs> underneath the old cowboy bebop one. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. You, oh, you haven't put the <laughs> We're still on the air. Oh, hi. Hey. <laughs> One, two, three. Thank you. 
Why is the bluebird sad and so blue? Missing his sweetie, what can he do? He has a blue song, you hear him coo. Sweetheart, we need each other. Not like a bluebird, more like a jay. I miss you, sweetie, I get that way. Then like the mockingbird, I have to say, sweetheart, we need each other. How I'm missing you. I'd rather spend my time just kissing you. These need the flowers, flowers the dew. We all need someone, honey, how I need you. Oh, sweetheart, we need each other. You know, I had I had, a, I had two Roshis. Both were amazing when I was in Rinzai Zen. I was in I, I was kind of uh, really I was actually going to become a Zen monk at one time after I'd come home from the war. Except I, you know, this was after I, I ended my my twenty year marriage because I think it would have been kind of hard. Both I and my former wife were interested in uh, Zen Buddhism, and both of us would. Uh, go to the zendo and sat uh, although she stopped doing that at that time period but it was a, a big part of our life we were vegans so initially when we were first married we were, we were vegetarians and we became vegans i think our, our our daughter was a vegan for a long time uh and i yeah anyway uh zen was a a, a big part of our life especially mine uh, renzai zen is quite strict and uh, in a way, it does things, and so well, I don't even know why I started talking about that. <laughs> well, that's pretty much par for the course for you. I always do that, Murky. Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, I and Murky get talking about other stuff when we're off the air, and so when I come back on, I've like suddenly forgotten <laughs> the direction of things. But your Zen Roshi. Oh yeah, my my my, my Roshi. So one of my Roshis used to say that, um, you know, we'd set up in the, on the zendo on our, on our rice cushions and pillows, uh, and there would be the traditional monks there, and sometimes some people uh, practice, practice uh, some of the, you know, attendees would just wear their street clothes, and other, you know, the monks would wear their, their traditional zen clothes, uh, you know, their gowns, and, you know, I'm sure there's names, I've forgotten all the names, and, and you know, their, their shaved heads, and Whatever might be the process, not all were shaved. And, <clears throat> and you knew, I'm taking coffee again. <coughs> I went down the wrong tube. So, you, you know, you, you, if you came in there off the street, and you could, 
it's a little weird because you know I have all these people setting up there and the zendo was upstairs and part of it there was a little setting room downstairs it's just this beautiful old uh, 1920s prairie styled house that got converted at uh, Kanzion Zen Center which has quite a famous history to it this beautiful upstairs room had been was big open floors and you know you had the Buddha there and the incense really nice and some little Japanese sayings up there and downstairs is the picture of all the orders of the different uh, Roshis in the Rinzai system all the way back to where they took pictures in Japan I mean the 19th century so you'd have your your lineage there which is you know important in Dharma and Dharma transmission and things like such as that but this beautiful upstairs room and, and you could start I believe the early morning uh, uh, Zazen, as we call it, uh, or you might call it meditation, that's kind of a trap, that word, so they use the word Zazen. Uh, you would either have your eyes open or closed, you'd be in a half lotus position, or full lotus position, or some position that would allow you to do Zazen, this, uh, this meditative state. And so, anyway, I'm just trying to, you know, we'd all be setting up there in the morning. And so one of these mornings after we had finished uh, the Zazen session and uh, you had a little, uh, it'd go on about an hour and then you would go around in a circle. You know, you stand up and just to get your blood flowing so you're not always setting all the time. And I can't even remember what that's called anymore. It begins very slowly as you go around in the circle uh, and you have to, you know, your, 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 your hands are in the, the mudra, and uh, there's, it's kind of a disciplined way of going around a circle. It goes faster and faster and faster, so your blood's flowing. And then, you know, the uh, Zen bell chimes. Boom! And I forgot <laughs> that, too. It's been some time. And then you go back into your formal Zazen setting. And yeah, this went on for a couple hours, I believe. Then you do a chant from the Heart Sutra. I don't even know I'm going through this. Anyway. Um, some more coffee. So after that's all done, if you were in a hurry to get to work, you might have an open session where one of the Roshis would come and talk to, to all of you. Uh, and you could be kind of a question and answer time period where you could talk about all kinds of things. Anyway, in one of these sessions, he mentioned that most of the students uh, that he talked to, at the bottom of, of, of their fears and their anxiety was this thing you know, called death. I think even uh, Freud and a lot of psychologists list that as one of the greatest fears up there with public speaking. <laughs> Although I'll take public speaking over death, just between you. But death is right up there as number one. And, and, and we go about masking our lives, avoiding that, especially modern people, avoiding this whole situation uh, with death. I mean, it's not a popular subject. You know, it doesn't come up at Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, you know, let's talk about people dying. <laughs> hey, Dave. You know, you used to you used to work in the emergency room in the hospital. Can you tell us about some of the some of the uh, traumas you had there? Can you go into detail about it and the way some of them died and how they looked? And you know, it's just something you don't really. It's it's not a great popular subject unless you're getting. Unless you're, you have a friend that's terminally ill, and that's a whole different uh, process, then uh, it's something maybe you do want to talk about. Or as a case, some people just don't want, you know, my, 
my grandfather on my dad's side, when he was getting, he was terminally ill, he did not want to talk about dying. He did not want to see a priest. And he just, he wanted to be in his own private space and face up to this ultimate fear himself. Hmm. So some people don't want to talk about it. They're in, and, but I think a lot of people do that are terminally ill. They want, they want to discuss that. If, if they're fully conscious and not too sick or too medicated. Um, there's a lot of videos on YouTube of, of terminally ill people talking about regrets, talking about um, letting go, talking about the fear of death. You can, you can listen to those all day, and they're, they're very interesting. Because I worked uh, in a hospital environment for almost seven years, and I was a medic in the army for uh, <laughs> cuckoo clock. Yeah, it should be the third member of our radio of in-between stations, the cuckoo clock, which if you listen to previous episodes, is something that I and Tiva bought. Uh, was kind of the heart of our relationship. Not that we were cuckoo, but <laughs> we had this, we bought this clock and not long after she died um right it, obviously that's part of this uh broadcast is the reason we're here uh, on this subject of death is um tiva dying wow it's been a rough go my friends um i've been acquainted with death and, and as you know worked in an emergency room was a medic was in the, was in the war uh tiva wiped me out <laughs> yeah uh, she was only 44, and yeah, I know Tiva, she was, it was a tough one, huh? Yeah. So I, I guess in a way this is part of our, our, our broadcast. It's mentioned Tiva, and, uh, taking something that was extremely private and deciding to, if, if I was going to try to be healthy about it, to talk about uh, the grieving process and Tiva's dying and the possibilities if she wouldn't have died, what would have happened? So, um... Yeah, I guess in a way this is dedicated to her. Right, Murky? It's so very hard to think about her being gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to get sad here, especially in live. You know, we can't really shut it down if we're going live. Um, can we go to song? Yeah, I, uh, you got to get my composure here. All right. Yeah, thank you, Murky.
Alright, <laughs> I feel a little a little better, maybe. Well, we're moving along pretty good now. Right, um, so the uh, hospices. Uh, having worked in a hospital, I had lots of friends that were nurses and, and doctors. So some close friends. Uh, my friend Katie's a doctor, uh, a surgeon, I believe. I have, yeah, and I, and I have previous friends. Uh, even a couple have died. Uh, in tragic accidents, well, I was with in the war a couple of doctors that were good friends of mine. One in particular has passed away. He was killed in a bicycle accident. Um, that's one of the things that happens in an ER, a trauma unit. Is sometimes the doctors you know get in car accidents or climbing accidents and they get killed. Let me tell you, it's rough being in a, in a trauma where it's a doctor and everybody in the whole hospital knows that person and they're dying. Wow, that's a tough one. Especially if uh, one of the doctors we had to... Uh, we tried to resuscitate in a serious bicycle accident. His, his aorta was ruptured because he, he hit a rock on his bicycle here in Flagstaff and hit a ponderosa tree. It flipped him upside down. He hit the tree so hard that it ruptured his aorta. He died almost instantly. Nevertheless, he came in the trauma, and he, they didn't tell us who the trauma was. They just give you, you know, the, the generic white male, you know, to, and give you the whole readout. Is there, come, is there being flown, flown in? You can either come in on an ambulance. Sometimes you're drove in by, by friends and family, uh, or the ambulance drives you, or you're life flighted in. He was life flighted in. And, you know, I'm called into the trauma unit from the lab because I, I, was, I was good at doing blood draws in real extreme situations. Uh, and you know, come into the trauma unit and oh my god, it's it's a doctor that's my friend. <laughs> and, and and he there's no no life signs, but you're still gonna do CPR uh, until the, the head doctor in, in that in that trauma announces that, that person is you're done trying to resuscitate them, and then they're I, I think declared dead. But um so yeah, that's a rough go when you see somebody that's a close friend and they're a doctor die. Uh, and, and this is in, in, in a traumatic situation because they were a key doctor that helped in a lot of traumas. It, this guy saved a lot of people's lives. And now here he is, stripped down, you know, completely naked. You're seeing he had the beautiful physique. Oh, he was quite an athlete. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 uh oh, Mercury, we better go to another song. Oh, sure, Dave. Yeah. You want me to put this one on? Yeah.
I didn't, uh, um, hi, <laughs> got my composure again, I, I gotta be careful here, uh, that's what happens when, uh, when people die that you know, when, when you're a medic, or you're involved in an emergency room, uh, and you see death, a lot of times, I have friends that are paramedics, almost a daily occurrence, they're seeing death, you're never really numb to it, you have to be, uh, with experience, you can't really get too emotional, and if you are emotional, you're usually pulled off the line in the, in the trauma, and someone takes your place, especially if it's, a, if it's a really severe trauma, if children are involved, or a young woman or young man, those are really tough ones, especially kids. Uh, and with experience, you have to keep your composure because you have things you need to do to keep that person alive and, and to be very professional. And so you have to get out of that. And as a medic especially, you have to really, you have to, you have all these protocols that you follow to keep that person alive, you know, to keep the baselines going. And if you get too emotional, you can make mistakes. And that's so that you get this sort of cold rationality which isn't easy when you're when you're doing your job. It's very very important. But sometimes you can't maintain that. Sometimes it's somebody you know. Uh, it's somebody that's close to you. And, and everyone knows this. It had somebody pass away in their family. Uh, you just it's hard to maintain. And I, I think with a lot of doctors and nurses, if it's someone they know, a friend or someone in their family, they have a rough time too. Even their professionalism falls apart because this is someone that they love. And I've, I've been in a trauma where, where the lead doctor was pulled off because it was someone in his family. And uh, that's, yeah. So I don't know if you're ever past the sorrow and, and past the, the devastation of losing uh, someone. Uh, but with experience in a professional environment, you kind of know what you need to do. 
and 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 you got to go through those things and you can't let the the you, you, you got to be rational you have to be objective and follow through and so and as a medic that's especially important in, in, in a war zone um, you have to pay attention to what you're doing so yeah I have so I had a lot of friends that, that, that worked in uh, hospices not a lot a few and and it involves this situation if the person's conscious if they're will, willing then this is a role that a priest uh, uh, a monk someone comes in that can help you through the process because you know you're going to die you have most people in hospices don't have a lot of time and there are people that are really conscious they're up until the moment they die and this is kind of where this uh this this broadcast is going uh, tiva uh Oh, murky ecology tiva uh, <clears throat> i'm having a rough time <laughs> me too dave it's okay um yeah well murky you're really good at being professional uh yeah all right we we better we gotta keep we can't keep <laughs> songs this is a tough subject folks uh yeah i i didn't i wasn't prepared for this i have uh other things like the book of the dead and uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and some of the uh, Mexican ancient precodices, pictorial scripts from Mexico, Central Mexico, Southern Mexico, and to talk about those a little bit. All these 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 are involved in the process of this other world that we go into, that we leave our body behind and move into.
So um, different religions, different spiritual orders uh, come in to to assist this person as they're getting ready to die. If they're conscious, and sometimes they're not, sometimes they're heavily medicated, sometimes they're a little, as we call, spaced out because their body's not working that well. Uh, but they they have a fear. They are they want to they want to be ready. They want to they they really want to know. They they want to have some spiritual connection. You know, you see these cowboy movies where the the hardcore um, thief or robber or or, or bandit uh, he wants to see a priest. Now, preacher, may say your piece now, Jeffy. You're now looking. For the last time, the mortal body, Francis Elroy Duffy, born to John and Edna. have last request. Good, God-fearing folk, who raised me up to be a good man. Ben. A good Christian. Bye, Ben. And I was a good Christian. Bye. A good husband to my beloved wife. A good father to my children, whom I leave behind, hoping that they... And all you will learn. You have last request. This here lesson, which I leave you with. <laughs> He's finally going to be religious on his deathbed. Or some of them are so hardcore they don't want to see anybody. They're just going to die and go to hell. <laughs> but it's 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 interesting in the hospice environment or in the environment uh, where someone's going to pass away. And I've actually been in uh, in a few traumas um, where the person's almost fully conscious up until the point that they, they die. Uh, and there's always, always, every situation I've been in when someone's died, something unusual happens if you're sensitive enough. Even when you're being professional, there's this profound feeling and silence. I, I don't know if silence is the word because there's so much going on, but you, there's this feeling. It's like nothing else when a person is going to die or after they died. I say silence because I don't, I, I just, it, it's, it's, it's a sort of strange vacuum. Uh, and I, I've been acquainted with, with death, even, you know, I've talked about, I've had three experiences in my life where I felt like I died. Uh, two when I was quite young, uh, four or five, and the other one when I was about seven, and then uh, more recently, about 10 years ago in the emergency room here in Flagstaff when I had a doctor Tura overdose. Wow. That was intense. <laughs> it's actually uh, actually in behavioral health and lockdown unit for a while with that one. Um, and that's involved some other things. I don't and I've I've talked about this a little bit. You know, it's really hard to do those uh, those broadcasts. It's hard to talk about uh, this experience you have with death. I know there's all these books like by Robert uh, by Moody, it's written on the life and death experience, you know, dying and going to the other side. Those are very cultural, um, and, and it changes with uh, the culture, the tribe, the country, the religion. Um, and so because we live in sort of a Christian-oriented environment, those books, I think, for me, tended to be have sort of same, same sort of thing going on. But if you get in a place like Hopi or Zuni, you get a whole different process sometimes. And we'll talk, talk a little bit about that. But interesting, uh, in, in the Tibetan uh, Book of the Dead, or so-called Book of the Dead, uh, hearing, uh, liberation through hearing uh, during the intermediate state between uh, life and death. 
between losing your body and, and leaving your body, uh, the Bardot total is, is red. And it's this, uh, I, I believe over a thousand years old, um, uh, uh, a Buddhist monk, early Buddhist monk from India came up into, into, into Tibet. You know, somebody's going to correct me on this. And so his words were, were written down. And because we have his other writings, we're pretty sure it was him. I can't remember his name anymore. But uh, in these uh, these Buddhist temples, these uh, greatly disciplined monks from when they're small, uh, disciplined in meditation, disciplined in in religious steps, uh, in the Eightfold Path, right resolve, right speech, right conduct. Uh, right mindfulness and so on I'm not I'm not going to go through all eight of them uh, progression towards nirvana these these men are highly trained religious people and their, their whole life is devoted to to the cause of being enlightened to helping others and so um, they're often a, a chief monk is called on is monk the right word priest when the person is dying or has died or, or they're in between living and dying then a monk is called in to read uh, to read the um, to read the uh, bardo total and um, it's it's usually written down in this beautiful calligraphy with wood blocks so it's not pages like bound in a book but it, it folds out and then they'll read this in you know the Tibetan language and it's for the person that's dying and, and and by the way even if the person in our way way we see it is you know clinically dead uh, they don't consider that person dead they're in between states they're in the intermediate state their their soul their essence is around the body and this is one of the reasons that cremation takes place in the Hindu faith and I believe to some degree in the Buddhist faith especially in Tibet is the uh, is the soul uh, it, and that's what I'm calling it there may be other words uh, tends to hang around the body and, and it gets preoccupied and doesn't move on you know this thing with ghosts with tragedies uh, it, it just it stays written there's a lot of crying and, and family members are weeping and so the priest uh, in you know in a little one of these little houses up in the snow uh, will have his beautiful manuscript that's written with wood blocks or by hand, and he'll read uh, the the Bardo total, and it's it's quite beautiful. Um, I've read uh, five or six different versions. Uh, I, I'm more fond of the versions without the introductions. The introductions to me are hell. <laughs> if you read five or six different versions, some introductions are three and four hundred pages long. I believe the original uh, Liberation Through Hearing. Uh, in the inter intermediate state, uh, uh, Bardo total is only about 60 or 70 pages. I think it takes, I can't remember the number of days the monk spends reading in the presence of the de person that's dying or deceased. I think, oh, th that's right. It takes the full 49 days that that person's in the Bardo state, the intermediate state. So 49 days, it's, it's read over 49 days to the, to the, to the deceased or the dying as it, as it goes and the family's around and, and you know the monk's in there with the deceased person uh, and he reads the bardo total uh, and it's, it's very beautiful uh, the initial book i read the first english translation which is done in the 1920s is it was amazing 
I didn't have any introduction. I didn't need an introduction. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Um, so I, I really did not like the introduction. So I read five or six different versions and I just, the introductions really turned me off because you have a lot of diversity, you have different schools of thought in Buddhism. Um, and so it, it, it kind of depends on who the author is. And they always feel this need to uh, explain to you how they <laughs> see it, explain to you all their years of discipline and, and slant the, uh, this text, this sacred text towards that. Uh, and if anybody is going to interpret this, certainly it should be a Tibetan monk that's familiar with that and, and since they've been small. But uh, yeah, so um, the, the words are read uh, giving a direction to the uh, disembodied spirit or soul. And uh, they can hear this. A lot of religious orders, religions have this process. Uh, the Tibetan are the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is uh, something I have read a bit and like, and I'll talk about that more. There are likenesses between those, between the uh, Bardo Total and the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And one of these things is these, all these, all these directions you have to, to follow after you've died. And, and I, I want to mention this, um, having been involved in the process of death at least three times, uh, and also this death process that happens with heavy doses of ayahuasca yahe or yopo, which is a, a snuff that's blown up your nose with a long pipe versus uh, ayahuasca, the two plants you use that you drink. When you have a heavy session of that, you kind of have a death process that takes place some, with some people. And your, your ego totally it, uh, is dissolved. And there's just this complete panic. That all, by the way, that goes on in Zen too. Uh, in deep meditational states, you may actually face, my Roshi called this one of the greatest fears in Zazen, is when you face emptiness, the total annihilation of ego where there, everything that you thought was important is no longer there. And this is called the great emptiness. Uh, not that it's empty or devoid, it's just unexplainable. And when you're in that place, it can be very frightening and very confusing. Uh, and I think the thing that's interesting about the ayahuasca experience, the Yahe experience, is you're, it's, you're so saturated with that event. Of course, you know it's the same in Zazen. Hmm, I never compared those two. So it's so powerful that you're not in the 9 to 5 reality at all. It's just it, where you work, your wife, your lover, your, your bills, your mortgages, your, your extreme uh, work formats, what you have to do, your emails. Uh, all your responsibilities are shattered. They're gone. And some, even the you that you see in the mirror you know, the Dave, that guy is gone. And you, you grasp at straws. You're falling backwards through empty space trying to find what it is that you were. I don't know if you've ever known anyone that's getting Alzheimer's. Uh, I've had a couple of friends, uh, and I actually took care of clients in both the early stages and latter stages of Alzheimer's. The... The early stages are very frightening, especially if you have this life you planned out. Uh, and one of the women I knew, she was actually my mother-in-law. 
very intelligent woman, uh, had lived a good life, uh, had a retirement going, uh, and she had all these different, she, would, she could sew well, she had all these different social clubs that she was in. She was a big community figure. She had a whole, she had lived a good life, a disciplined life, had done all these important things in her life, uh, and, you know, very goal-oriented person. They found out that she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. I think she was only 62 at the time. And I actually sat down with her at the table in our, in our kitchen. This is when I was back in the days when I was married. And uh, she just kind of broke down crying because she realized that her, you know, she already she was starting to see these gaps in her memory. Uh, and, and she was losing a sense of herself. And she was getting, sometimes she'd get out of her car and, and didn't know where she was at, even though she was in her own driveway. Or she'd be talking to somebody and she'd for, forget who they were. But because she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's, she, could, she, she would come back to who, who she was and where she lived. You know, the baselines of, of w what we are and who we are. But she already was sensing that she was losing that, and quickly, as was the case. It didn't take long for her to fall into the really progressive stages of Alzheimer's. Now, I, I'm not going to use this uh, broadcast, but I had a, a vastly spiritual, fearful experience with her just before she died. Uh, and I'll have to talk about that sometime. It was profound, where she was no longer there. Or at least I didn't think she was. Uh, and so, yeah, I think when you, when you face death in that way, it can be extremely frightening. Uh, and uh, whatever way it comes, a, a car accident, uh, a surgical accident, or you're in the trauma room. Uh, and you know, and I, keep in mind, I've, I've been in these situations a lot. So it's, I'm not just talking about, I'm just not talking shit here. <laughs> so I hope... I hope you can kind of feel that in this broadcast and uh, that I, 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 that death is here, that it's going to be, you know, I talked about this with one of my really close friends, she's going through some real huge trauma, that as surely as we were sitting there, death, it, we would be in that moment when it's time to die, if we're conscious. And so why speed it up with suicide and things, when you know it's just going to, it's going to be like, you know, when you look from the end to the beginning, it's, it's a real short path. And there is that kind of unloading of your whole life when you look, look if, you, if, if you're fully conscious, you don't have Alzheimer's, you can look at your life in the beginning to the end of it. Anybody that's written any kind of biography of their life or someone else's, you know, you only have two pages to write your ancestor's history. <laughs> two pages for 90 years of life, you know, I, I don't think so, but it, it seems rather short. Even if it's an entire book, like a, the depth psychologist Carl Jung and, and wrote his, uh, a beautiful uh, life history in, uh, in Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, I believe it's called. And coincidentally, I think one of the last chapters is about death and dying. Uh, and so this is a guy that thought a lot about that process. So it's, it's quite, that's, that's maybe Jung's most profound book. It's not so complex as some of his other stuff. So... When you're dying, this, this, uh, especially when you're very close to death, um, or if you have died, I think in the Tibetan way, you're, you're, as I said, your soul stays around your body, and so you're, there's this reading. 
you take this esoteric knowledge with you because you're in a confused state. Your body's not there. And having been in that state with... And that's one of the profound experiences with... Uh, I'm not going to go into my death experiences because I think I, I mentioned in, in all three of them, there's this absence of uh, the light. I, I, I didn't... I guess some people see this light, and you know Buddhism talks about this a lot because that's, that's the great light. The luminous light, the luminous mind. Uh, some religious orders see the fire as, uh, the, you know, that's the, that's the great symbolism, is, is your soul is, is fire. Um, and, but other religions see extinguishing that fire. And I think that's part of So the luminous light is the, you're progressing towards that. And a, a lot of death, near-death experiences has this luminous sort of light in I don't know if that was the case with mine. For me, there was this, this blackness, this emptiness that I talked about in Zen. This falling backwards and this loss of ego. And this is especially apparent in really heavy ayahuasca sessions, tribal ritual sessions, uh, where you're in this... It's so, I like to say it's more real than this real, than this 9 to 5 reality. It's so powerful. You can touch and feel it. And that's... in. in you you get real scared. One of the one of the one of the, you know you're not ever going to get addicted to ayahuasca like you are alcohol or pot, um, or you know these these real powerful hallucinogenic plant medicines. Meaning they they're they're there to bring you into balance. They're there to awaken you to the deeper processes of life. So you get sick when you're out of balance, when you're too busy with your life. So these plant medicines were made by horticulturists, indigenous horticulturists over thousands of years to open you up to the deeper universe, to, to what's underneath life and death. So they're made to really attack your ego and, and, to, and to take it apart. So you can merge into these, and we'll talk about this more, the, these other worlds, these other realities that exist that are around us all the time. You know, and quantum physicists talk about this a lot. Beyond the Newtonian, you know, one, two, three, the rational linear reality is the, quant is the bizarre, chaotic world of the quantum. And there's all these different worlds. You know, I talked about uh, uh, Hugh Everett and the, and, the, and the many worlds theory. You know, for each decision made, for each difference, there's a universe born. It's unlimited, the amount of universes and realities. That, that's kind of what... Um, I just was talking to one of my, my close friends. I'm having some more coffee. And she's a, a person that's done ayahuasca a lot. A lot, a lot more than I have. <laughs> and, and we talked about... Uh, you're, you're really confronted with these, this multiplicity of realities. So the, the universe is almost unfiltered. And then there's this complete absence of you. All this is coming at you, these complexities, these different beings, these different modes of consciousness, the, the stars, the infinitely large and the infinitely small. That's all thrown at you uh, when you're in the early stages of ayahuasca, when you're not trained or you're disciplined, it just overwhelms you. It, the filters are off. Your human is gone. <laughs> And you're faced with this, you panic. And one of my initial reactions, and before I was used to this experience, uh, the ayahuasca, uh, the tribal experience, 
uh, is complete, absolute fear. You just don't want to be there. You want to get the hell out of there. You wonder why I did this. I always like to say this with powerful hallucinogenics. You're in the car and you're not getting out <laughs> until you reach point. You know, you get in the car at point A, you take the ayahuasca, and you're not, there's no stopping. There's no getting out. You, get a, you have to reach the end point. And, and that may be hours away. So you're in there and you've got, you have to experience this. And that's one of the things, you, you, you can't really come out of it. So you're, you have, and, and there's this panic. So I, I like to, to um, compare that with the, the death experience. So you don't have your body. You don't have, that, that rea nine to five reality just doesn't matter. But there's all these memories. There's, there's your family. There's the things you're familiar with. Because you know when you don't have the familiarity with you, you panic. And, and, and being a person that solos a lot in wilderness, I know newness. I know panic when you're out there 25 miles, 30 miles, 50 miles. There's no roads and you get hurt. Or you, or, or you lost your water back there. And it's 95, 110 degrees. Uh, and this is before cell phones. I mean, or out there in the Great Salt Lake Desert. I did a whole episode on that. There, you can't call anybody. You have to rely on on your own your your own knowledge to, to help yourself to address injuries, and and there is and if you get lost, or if you fall into a hole, and I've done that. Have you seen this at 127 days where the guy has to cut his his own arm or leg off because he gets it trapped underneath these big rocks? Uh, yeah, you're faced with these certain, and you can be really, and 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 it's and it can be real, real frightening. And I think a lot of people don't have to come to terms with that. Their lives is pretty even kill. You know, it might be boring, it might be monotonous, it might be high pressured, but if you're so busy, you don't have to think about this panic of the unknown. Or you're so spaced out, you're so high on pot all the time. Oh, wow, man, the world is so amazing. that uh, you, You're not, you don't get to really, that's the thing with me and sometimes with new age religion is the pink light and it's always joy and happiness and, and you know, that bumper sticker, no bad days. I always say, ha, <laughs> you're going to have bad days. That's just part of the process of life. So you have... When you have, you know, death is probably going to be one of the worst days. I mean, other people have, you know, uh, other experiences with it can say other things about this. But one of the functions of something like the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, Liberation Through Hearing, uh, and, and, and these pictorial uh, books, these amazing books that you get in uh, Aztec and Mishtecan religions, uh, of central Mexico, southern Mexico, is this process of where you breached reality and you're into the other worlds and, and this confusion. What do you do? And one of the things that the monk does is this, is the deceased is the soul of that of the deceased person is wandering around trying to find get back in their body even uh, is read this text that tells you to go towards the clear light tells you don't be preoccupied too long in the state of Bardo. Is it 48, 49 days? Which I have a friend, we kind of have a running joke. I don't know if it's a joke. I'm really close to her. I love her a lot. Uh, she was kind of my girlfriend before Tiva. <laughs> um, we have this, this, 
this connection in what we call Bardot. And, uh, you know, those 49 days that you're in the intermediate state where you've lost your body. And if you've seen uh, Jacob's Ladder... Why'd you get your doctor without reading that God? Relax. <clears throat> okay, good. I'll turn over gently. Right side. The other right, okay? You're a regular basket case, you know that? Eckhart saw hell, too. You know what he said? He said, the only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of your life. Your memories, your attachments, they burn them all away. But they're not punishing you, he said. They're freeing your soul. Relax. So the way he sees it, if you're frightened of dying and, and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. It's just a matter of how you look at it, that's all. So don't worry, okay? Okay? That movie's based on uh, the Bardot total, uh, liberation through hearing. It's based on getting lost in these 49 days, which, you know, could be, who knows how long, 49 days could, and this is in, this, in, in the Buddhist uh, levels of heaven and hell. I think they have four levels of hell, 26 levels of heaven. Uh, and one of the levels of hell is earth, but in the uh, movie Jacob's Ladder, the person that uh, did the screenplay, uh, that's how he played out to Bardot Total was in that movie. And you can see that whole effect of when you're in Bardot. You think you're alive, you think you're, this is your life, but really what it is is it's, it's this repetition over and over again of being lost in these alternate realities because you want to get back in your body. You don't, you don't want to believe you're dead. So one second between being bayoneted in Vietnam and dying, this whole experience of all these alternate realities take place. You know, what, what in the medical person's mind would be five, you know, two or three minutes as you're dying, you see your entire life unfold. And, you're, and so you live out this, these alternate realities. So the thing about the, uh, the monk reads these things to give you the words, uh, the directions you need to do. I think even in Mormonism you get this... Uh, in the temple ceremony, what you do when you pass over to the other side, uh, those are very sacred things. So, you know, as, as, as it is in, in the upper realms of these religious orders, are not things to really talk about here. So, um, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful process. The whole Mormon uh, theology, especially in the temple ceremony, is incredibly beautiful uh, and based on other religious processes that are complex. So this, this living and dying, what do you do? And that's, that's really what the, uh, the, T the Tibetan Book of the Dead is, is about, is getting this person to, to hold on to something and to move forward and out of all this deception and move into the next um, reincarnation, hopefully being humans. Because I think most religious orders, unfortunately for me, nullify animal and plant consciousness that human is the most important 
way to, to gain your liberation. Um, I don't... That, I have a problem with that. Because in some instances, I see animals as actually being a greater, more advanced way of life. One that doesn't question things so much. One that is more direct to the course. Uh, they don't have this big, huge brain to like get you off course all the time. They, they, they're just, you know, I had a, a, a Dene medicine man say, of all the wonderful creations the Creator made, humans are the ones that question things the most and have the biggest problem. The animals and the plants, uh, other life forms, they just move forward. They know, you know, and if you've ever seen a wild animal or an animal close to you die, it's pretty amazing. Uh, they, they, they often don't fight the process. They, they kind of know what's going on. And sometimes a, a beautiful wolf, when it dies, will leave the pack and go and die alone. Not always. Uh, or a coyote. Uh, Animals, you know, humans have this very complex mind, at least modern ones, that get them off on all these tangents and preoccupied. But, and that's what, you know, I think in the, in the Buddhist faith, that's what you keep going back to is that preoccupation, <laughs> that nine to five reality. And what the priest is telling you, you've got to move on. Move down the path, my friend, and find a good reincarnation or get move towards nirvana and there's all these complexities of worlds in the buddhist faith i think hinduism also has nirvana uh and and i i think too i mentioned that these extent these these faiths that are considered polytheistic where there's a multiplicity of gods like in ancient egypt they're really manifestations of one deity uh jung carl jung called these the archety the archetypes uh, both the personal and the uh, impersonal collective archetypes. You inherit those through memory and through genetics. There, you know, humans do things a certain way. Wolves do things a certain way. Uh, fish do things a certain way. You know, these are different types of consciousness, and they have, they have processes built into them. And really, when you get down to polytheism, uh, even with Hopi and Zuni, it all is part of the Creator's consciousness. You don't separate those things. We, we tend to, through Aristotle thought and Greek thought, we tend to put things in categories and, and take them apart and disconnect them. For the indigenous native person, everything is, is connected. It's all one totality of consciousness. So outsiders like to go in and say, well, you're polytheistic. You don't believe in one God. I think natives find, Native Americans find that especially confusing because... They, they see it all as one thing. Their language denotes it is, and I, I think our, our, our Western sense is taking things apart and putting them in categories. The, a good traditional native, and I've talked about what traditional means in other episodes, doesn't do that. The world's very holistic. In Hinduism, Brahma is this, is this great conceptual view of the Creator, and we're all a part of his expression or her expression. In fact, a lot of times it's genderless because we tend to have these categories that we put things in. So the process uh, of, of the Tibetan Book of the Dead and of the Egyptian Book of the Dead and of these pictorial, these ancient pictorial manuscripts in Mexico, in central Mexico, southern Mexico, are to help you along. Uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're in this, this reality without your body, uh, what do you do? 
it's very confusing. You're overwhelmed. And so if a person is, is spiritual and they're disciplined and their prayer and their meditation is getting you to listen, to help direct you through this, this intermediate state when you're moving from one world to another, from one reality to another. That, and this is what happens in, in, in the Yahe experience, uh, in the ceremonial format, is when you've done it enough, you develop a discipline uh, and you have guides there that help you along because there's a lot, a lot of distractions. Wow! Uh, you can get so lost in I Just listen to YouTube videos about people's ayahuasca experiences. Uh, one of my favorites, and I said this before, is, is the star uh, um, Sting. Uh, he has a really beautiful description I like that's more tribal-oriented about being enlightened, about opening yourself up and what happens when you lose the self and the ego. So this is actually a, th a three-hour uh, live broadcast on the shortwave, and Ian Murky have downsized this, and we're going to make it into a two-part series. So this is about a, an hour and a half. And so we would uh, ask you to, uh, we hope you enjoy this first part, and then we'll put up the second part here uh, oh, in a few more days. cease to be before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain, before high-piled books in charactery hold like rich garners the full ripened grain, when I behold upon the night-starred face huge cloudy symbols of a high romance, and think that I may never live to trace their shadows with the magic hand of chance, and when I feel, fair creature of an hour, that I shall never look upon thee more, never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love. Then on the shore of the wide world I stand alone, and think, till love and fame to nothingness do sink. Radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA.
This is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kHz in the 80-meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America. This is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kHz in the 80-meter band from Flagstaff, Arizona, United States of America.